Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Chris Cottonor, executive producer of Deep State Radio. Members are now enjoying additional podcast content every Monday and Thursday, and David's written pieces on Wednesdays and Fridays. In addition to exclusive content, members will receive access to the DSR Slack community, an ad-free listening experience via private member feed, free access to live virtual webinars, and transcripts of each episode. To become a member, visit bit.ly slash dsrmember. That's bit.ly slash dsrmember. For a limited time, use code OCTOBERLAUNCH, all one word, and receive 10% off the regular price of $6.99 per month. Thank you and enjoy the episode. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, and I am today, uh, as I often am on Thursdays, in rainy, cold Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm joined today in Washington, D.C. for this segment of the podcast by our friend Norm Ornstein of AEI. How are you today, Norm? I am persevering uh, pretty well today, David. It's been a, an interesting day of twists and turns. <laughs> uh, it's, it certainly has. Very <laughs> frustrating, and we will get to that. Also in Washington, D.C., persevering, Dr. Kavita Patel of the Brookings Institution, practicing physician, former member of the Obama administration. How are you doing, Kavita? I'm feeling very meta. Metaverse, meta? that is. <laughs> the new Facebook. It's uh, Mark Zuckerberg way of trying to sanitize Facebook. So feeling to rename it. Yeah. And and the name Evil Global Empire was not available. I think that domain was taken by the Trump organization, www.evilglobalempire. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But but you know what? Corrupt Evil Global Empire has not been taken. There's still time. We got a January 6th hearing full of people that could be incredible (laughs) domain holders. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I'll tell you a little side story here, which, you know, I'm sure none of our listeners will care much about. But at one point, you know, I started to sort of collect domain names as a kind of hobby, like, huh. oh, someday I might start a business in this. So I should yeah. buy, you know, the, the domain name, right? You should, yeah. And so I decided at one point that I wanted to have the name World Jewish Conspiracy, because I thought if anybody was going to own the World Jewish Conspiracy, it should be me. You know, I didn't want it to fall into the wrong hands. So if you guys can think of what I should do with it, I own the domain World Jewish Conspiracy. I think you ought to try and trade it for JewishSpaceLaser.com. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll call Marjorie Taylor Green immediately. Yes. So by the way, for everybody who's listening, you know, we're now in this new format where we do about a half an hour of uh, the podcast for the public. And then there's a bonus 15 minutes for our members to try and encourage more of you to be members. And our bonus 15 minutes, which you can hear after this segment, includes 
our old friend Ryan Goodman and former U.S. Acting Solicitor General Neil Katyal talking about the recent developments with regard to January 6th and the progress being made by the January 6th committee, the progress being made or not made by the Department of Justice. It's a great discussion. It will follow this one immediately. And if you're a member, you'll be able to hear it. And if you're not a member, become a member so you can hear it. With every podcast, we're going to try to do that to encourage you to spend up to the cost of a pumpkin spice latte per month, which is what our membership costs. And Mm -hmm. you can help, help support what we're doing here. Personally, I've never had a cup of coffee. And the idea of pumpkin spice latte sounds horrible to me. So I don't think sacrificing that is such a big deal. But you guys may have different views. As you said earlier, Norm, it's been a strange day here in Washington on this Thursday. We got up and from the crack of dawn, 6.30 in the morning, the White House was pumping out a story. There's a deal. The deal, the Build Back Better deal, is something that Senators Manchin and Cinema can live with. Uh, it's $1.75 trillion. It boils down to a whole bunch of programs for kids, for elders, for healthcare, for the environment, some for immigration, things that the country can benefit from. It's a very big deal, transformative program. It, it leaves out some things, including paid family leave, which is particularly aggravating since it seems to have been blocked by one 74-year-old man from West Virginia. But let's not cry over spilt milk. Let's celebrate what's been done. Mm-hmm. And then we waited. And we waited throughout the day, and there was going to be a vote on the infrastructure bill. There was going to be a vote on this bill. Neither Senator Manchin nor Senator Cinema, you know, I got to love them for voting for this thing if they vote for it. But after they voted for it, I want to have a podcast in which we can talk about how fucking evil they have been throughout this process. But I will save that for later. My fury burns with the intensity of a thousand suns when it comes to some of this. But seems like a deal. One point seven five trillion may produce one point eight five or nine trillion in revenue. So, you know, more than pays for itself. What did you take away from all of this, Norm? What, what are your conclusions about the sausage factory? First, I have to say, David, when you've lost the international Jewish conspiracy, you're yeah. in big trouble. But other than that. I think I I can give you my sense of what happened and then try and calm you down at least a little bit. Obviously, President Biden wanted to declare victory before he left for both Italy and Glasgow, where there will be, of course, a major focus on climate. And this plan, if it becomes reality, has a lot of good stuff, not as much as it should. That's true in many other areas, but a lot of good stuff on climate and puts him in a stronger position. So I think he took a little bit of a gamble. He very likely had both Cinema and Manchin saying, this looks good. We'll have to think a little bit about some of the details and thought that this might be action forcing. At least perhaps the stumbling block for Manchin, I'm hoping it's the only one, was the question of the extension of the child tax credit, including not having any kind of work requirement. And I was, I just saw before we started from a reporter that he's agreed to that provision. Maybe that will break the ice with Manchin. 
I'm not sure what the story is with cinema, but I would bet they will get this done within a short period of time. The one thing that I thought Speaker Pelosi might do, and she may still do this uh, in the next few days, is to convince the progressive caucus in the House, which has been uniformly and unanimously on board with this $1.75 trillion plan, that if they vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill, she will not send it to the president for signature until they get the reconciliation bill up and through the Senate. The fact is that there is nothing that compels the speaker, once a bill passes the Senate and the House, to send it to the president. She can hold it uh, through the rest of the Congress. And that would be a way of pushing towards action. Uh, and it may still happen. But if we do get this package, and it's a package that includes an enormous amount of really good stuff and actually a much better revenue plan than I thought would be possible given the objections that we've had from these two recalcitrant senators, it will be huge. And I'm one who wants to focus on what they got rather than what they didn't. And we can talk a little bit about what strategy the Senate Majority Leader Schumer and the House Speaker ought to pursue when it comes to things like paid family leave in the aftermath of all of this. But this package includes some life-changing provisions and that will change the lives of many, many millions of Americans. And it's remarkable if you think about it, separating out the fact that the original plan of Senator Bernie Sanders was $6 trillion, a wish list that he knew would never be accomplished, pared down to the $3.5 trillion, which was not going to happen anyhow. But what they got is pretty damn good, if they get it. Big if. Pretty damn good. And you mentioned climate. The $550 billion in the bill for climate would be the most ever by the United States Congress towards fighting the climate crisis. There's about $500 billion in this taking care of kids, pre-K education, child care, ensuring that nobody pays in need, pays in excess of 7% of their income for child care. And there's also considerable extension of health care and uh, about, I think about $100 billion for immigration. But basically, you know, it comes down to you want to communicate it. It's if you care about your kids, your parents, your grandparents or the environment, this is going to help them. It's a very human bill, I think, in terms of that. What do you what do you think, Kavita? What's your reaction? Albert? Yeah, so I think I agree. As usual, it's good principle to agree with Norm Ornstein in most situations, but I emphatically agree with him. I sent a couple of my friends who worked on the health care provisions uh, in the Senate and in the House. I sent them a friendly reminder that it's great because we can get this bill done, it seems like. And then we can always quickly, swiftly follow up to Nancy Pelosi's point. She's done this before with kind of a dummy vehicle to tack on that kind of maybe, you know, maybe get some of the things that progressives want. And I think there's everybody's been asking and kind of wondering, like, where's Bernie on this? I actually think it's a way to give him some of what he wants, too. So I agree. We can always start listening. And you had a nice tweet, David, on all the foreign policy accomplishments, which candidly 
I didn't even realize and appreciate. When you add that to this domestic policy, it arguably for healthcare, one of the best improvements since the Affordable Care Act for domestic policy, childcare, and kind of tax policy, potentially the best universal pre-K. I mean, finally, like other developing nation, developed countries, we actually have these things. So I feel like Biden in the midst of a pandemic has kind of juggernauted us in a way that nobody is going to appreciate, which gets back to where so that I could be a little Debbie Downer. I did, you know, I heard the president's remarks. I caught like the back 75%. And I felt like even at times he was kind of in the weeds about some of it. And so, you know, you kind of want to step back, but then you saw those moments of Biden. He's like, kids can go to pre-K. Like if they go to pre-K, you know, 48% more likely to go to college. Like we need to zone in on like what is going to really resonate so that we don't just completely dwell on what did not make it in. And I particularly am worried about this paid family leave, like, you know, this incredible, I have it disappointment when honestly, if I stack up paid family leave as a policy, I'm just being totally honest by the numbers. And then what I can get and kind of the returns on pre-K, a monthly, not a typical regressive tax credit, right? All of those things, we definitely got a winning, kind of the winning provisions in the Biden package as it's currently structured. So there's a lot great there. Thanks for mentioning the, the Twitter thread. One of the things that inspired me to write that Twitter thread is there's a lot in this bill and take it with the infrastructure bill that's got national security and foreign policy consequences, building infrastructure, making things more resilient, being better able to deal with immigration, being better able to deal with things like a pandemic. But Norm, one of the elements of this, and it goes back to your point about revenue, that is transformative is a huge foreign policy deal and just isn't getting the coverage that I think it needs to get, is this 15% minimum tax. Janet Yellen came out with and promoted this idea. It was sort of, oh, that's an interesting conversation among economic wonks. And all of a sudden, the world has embraced it. It ends the race to the bottom to attract corporations. It really sort of levels things out so that all corporations, many of which don't pay any taxes at all, pay at least 15%. And if this is in this bill and the president goes to the G20 and it advances within the G20, this is just one of those big things that makes a global difference that the U.S. hasn't done in a long time. Don't you think it's a big deal, Norm, or am I just a wonk? No, I absolutely do. And uh, it's interesting. I, I wrote in the past a couple of columns and they were a part of the focus was the campaign finance reform, the idea of corporations getting being able to participate as if they're people when they have very different motives. But it was about all of these American companies who basically have created these shell organizations in Ireland and other places where they might have three or four employees, but basically they're like post office drops so that they could switch their incorporation and evade U.S. taxes on their American earnings. And it's an outrageous tax evasion practice. And this will have a huge impact. And I agree wholeheartedly that this is a big deal. I want to mention two other things that are, that are, I think, significant. One that hasn't gotten enough attention, but it's related to the second. What hasn't gotten much attention is the home health care provisions. These are, I believe, absolutely huge. 
You know, I was talking the other day with somebody who has a really seriously disabled child who has to be homebound, can't speak, can't move, basically. And it costs a staggering sum of money if you have to put somebody like that into a place where there's institutional care. And right now, you can't afford to have that person at home. You think about the millions and millions of people, our parents, our grandparents, with dementia and Alzheimer's and the ones that are going to come forward as those of us in the baby boom generation get a little bit older. We do not have the institutional space, much less the capacity to deal with them. And people who have to keep their parents or grandparents or others who have serious disabilities at home are paying a staggering price. And not only will this relieve the anxiety for large numbers of them, but it's going to be an enormous employment opportunity. It is a jobs bill as well. <laughs> and then I want to talk about the child care provision. There are so many people who have a second spouse who goes to work and has to use child care and ends up not making any money because it costs as much or more to do the child care as it does with the income that you bring in. If you can provide child care and make sure it's not run of the mill or squishy outfits doing it so your children can be safe and you're limited in the amount you have to pay, that is going to mean that people can go to work. You can have two income households and it's going to add to the employment in the country. And it's huge, not just because it alleviates pain for people and provides such a terrific benefit, but it's a job creation tool as well. These are job creators and in the best way to provide incomes that people can live on. It's just, if we can make these things happen, they truly are life-changing. Hello, Deep State listeners. We're working hard to bring you additional programming, and we'd like for you to help shape it by completing our survey. Those who complete the survey will be entered to win one of three guest appearances on a future episode of Deep State Radio. To complete the survey, please visit bit.ly slash DSR Survey 2021. That's bit.ly slash DSR Survey 2021. Now back to the show. Kavita, you were there for the creation of the ACA and you know what's in it, what should be in it, wasn't in it, fell out of it. You know, you know the lay of the land. How does all this help strengthen where we are on just healthcare broadly? I really do mean it when I say that since the ACA, this might be one of the most important kind of healthcare packages that I've seen. And trust me, we've had some big ones come through around different levels of expansion or attempts at it. And what two things that it's done that's huge, closing the Medicaid coverage gap. So this was that time old debate that states, because of the Supreme Court decision, 2011, were allowed to choose whether they expanded Medicaid, 100% subsidized <laughs> by the federal government, both states like Texas and Florida, and 12 states, in fact, decided not to. So this now covers millions, up to 4 million uninsured people who literally just suffered because they happen to live in a state where they're put politics over the people. So closing the Medicaid coverage gap was huge. And then I think that um, strengthening, it's super wonky, but something that was done in the CARES Act is is extended by helping to make premiums cheaper and trying to suppress what was happening over the last decade, which was the inflation of premium costs. Everybody who's listening probably knows 
that they see the cost of healthcare if they're employed going up pretty dramatically almost each year. So those are, I think, two very important ones. I'm glad Norm called out the home health. The third one, I'm less um, enamored by if I had to give a trade. I'm going to get a lot of blowback for this. I would I would give up the hearing benefits only because I made a joke that's not very politically correct. So I'll say it on the podcast here like, oh, this is great. Now we can hear all the things we can't actually eat or see. And so I kind of feel like if you're going to do Medicare, do it in a package, dental, vision, hearing, fine, we'll take one to say we did something. But Medicaid and kind of trying to keep costs down for individuals in the health exchanges, I think that's incredible. And there are so many other things that are tied to health care. They're small. They're not big. They're not big money wise, but there is incredible provisions for child nutrition. So paying for schools, paying for families to be able to afford meals during the summer. I think what I see in this bill and knowing some of the people who've worked on it, I think that they really are doing just an incredible job balancing what the country needs coming out of the pandemic, but then to kind of the point of climate change and laying down foundations that'll kind of help us regardless of pandemic or not, or dealing with the other pandemic of climate change. This is something to behold. So hopefully people think about this. And I, I don't know, Norm, I'd love to know whether you think he'll have this vote in by the G20. You know, I just don't know if he's going to have everything buttoned up and sealed um, by the weekend, but sounds like one of you might have hope in that. I've got hope. It may take a little bit longer. I'm heartened to see that they've been working on language and they now have the language in the house and they may need to change it if some of these provisions change. Uh, just one thing to follow on what you just said, Kavita, one of my pet things for a long time has been, we should pay for this panoply of additional Medicare benefits, dental, vision, and hearing by extending the payroll tax to uh, income over $400,000. Do yep. a donut hole there. Yep. And you can keep to the president's promise of not taxing anybody making under 400000 It is ridiculous that it is a uh, regressive tax on work. And you could raise significant revenue by doing that. And I also was disappointed that when they put this wish list together, they didn't include mental health coverage in Medicare. Yeah, you and I can talk about how like yeah. that. But I'm, I'm I, know, I am hopeful. You know, we've got more chances at this. I just I, I see there being opportunities. Will they prioritize mental health and Medicare expansion? Maybe, maybe not. But I'm hopeful we can influence that. It ought to be high on the agenda. A lot of things ought to be high on the agenda. Mm -hmm. Kavita's talked about things she missed in the bill. You've talked about things you missed in the bill. The reality is all those things would be in the bill if it weren't for two people. Yes. And the rationale for let's have hearing but not, you know, dental or vision care, you know, is, you know, Joe Manchin not wanting to be an entitlement society. Apparently the rationale on uh, paid family leave, we're the only OECD country that doesn't offer paid family leave is Joe Manchin thinking we're going to be an entitlement society. Obviously, there's only one way to fix this, and that's to have a bigger Democratic majority in the Senate. And a lot of these things may be at risk if Republicans ultimately win the House and the Senate, ultimately win the, the presidency in 2024. So we come, Norm, to the political consequences of this. You were kind enough to participate in an article. You know, I interviewed, I think, seven or eight people for the Daily Beast yesterday on sort of how the Dems could screw this, screw this up and what we need to 
agree on. I think there's a general consensus. We need to agree on emphasizing the positive and not focus on what's not in it. You talked a little bit about voting rights and said you were optimistic there might be an agreement on that. Other people I've spoken to have said that's not going to happen because Manchin and Cinema are, are just simply not going to vote for the filibuster reform that we need to get there. Why are you optimistic about this? If you parse out what Manchin and Cinema have said, and I'm, I will say I'm more optimistic about Manchin than Cinema, but I think in both cases, it's very clear they won't do anything that they believe weakens the filibuster, much less eliminates it. But what the pitch that I've made, and I've you know been pushing this for a decade with Al Franken, who joined me in this because when he was in the Senate, a new senator one day he was trying to build bonds with his colleagues, and he went on a uh, Thursday afternoon when they were about to adjourn to Jim Bunning of Kentucky, who was one of the more irascible people uh, who served in the Senate. And he said, have a good weekend, Jim. See you on Monday. And Bunning said to him, no, you won't. There's a cloture vote. You have to be here. I don't. And that sort of jolted the new senator into looking at the reality that the burden is entirely on the majority, which is a complete distortion of the way the filibuster worked. And if you think about the rosy picture of a Senate where the minority has some ability to bring the place to a halt to make its case, but there are incentives to find bipartisan cooperation and uh, you can still move forward, it's completely gone. So we pushed the idea of flipping the numbers from 60 required to end debate to 41 required to continue it. And then you can throw in the Jeff Merkley idea and say you have to have 41 on the floor at all times. And you can go nights and weekends and you can put public attention on these issues and we can succeed. And I think by saying that this is a way of restoring the filibuster and putting the burden back on the minority where it belongs, we've got a shot at this. It's not going to come into full focus until after all of the rest of this happens. I will say, you know, as you were talking about mansion and cinema. Uh, When you are right at the limit of the numbers that you have, every individual senator, as Biden said uh, in his town hall, becomes a president. And remember, the reason we don't have a public option in the Affordable Care Act is because they needed all 60 at that point. They had briefly uh, to overcome the filibuster on the Affordable Care Act. And, And Joe Lieberman basically said, no public option because of all the insurance companies in Connecticut. So this is not the first time that we've seen senators hold up action or it happens in the House too, where the margin is so thin. And if we can make this change, it's gonna take away some of that inflexibility, I should say, that we have in the process. And right now there's no incentive for any Republican to join on anything because it doesn't cost them at all and they can block everything. But if they know that something's going to go through because they can jam it through and that they're going to have to be on the floor debating germanely and explaining why they're against childcare and why they're against universal pre-K, then some of them are going to say, you know what, let's maybe see if we can find a way to uh, work together to get a better outcome. I think there's not an unreasonable opportunity here 
before this year is done to get some movement. And I'll add one other thing, David, which is for Joe Manchin, he got what he asked for, which is, I will do a compromise with you, watering down the Freedom to Vote Act, the Protect the Vote Act to turn it into the Freedom to Vote Act, taking out things that I think should not be there. And then because I've done that, I will go out and find 10 Republican senators who want to be bipartisan. So far, he has found zero, and that's not going to change. And he's now invested in this bill, and the only way it passes, the only way is if they do some kind of reasonable change in the filibuster rule. And I think he knows that. Uh, hopefully, cinema can be convinced as well. You know, on every one of our podcasts, Kavita says she's going to lift the spirits. She's going to be the voice of optimism. <laughs> And by the end of each one of the podcasts, she's just pouring cold water on everything. So, Norm, that's why I'm so glad you're joining on us on a regular basis. You know, you have you're filling the role of the house optimist here. And Kavita, I'm I'm happy to take the burden off of you because you've really been kind of terrible at it. Yeah, I know. I know. And and I'm look, I want I love to end on that note with Norm's optimism. I can actually see a path there. I'm less optimistic about it, but I'm yes, happy to admit it. Before we go, David, I, yes. I just think there's one, assuming we get this package done and the two bills move forward, there is one message that becomes, I think, the most important and central one. If we had said at Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th, with a 50-50 Senate and a three-vote margin in the House, that before his first year was done, there would be almost $5 trillion committed in federal money for dramatic transformations, saving people from the ravages of COVID and changing human infrastructure and physical infrastructure in a big way. There isn't one of us who wouldn't have said, oh my God, that would be an absolute miracle. So if it does happen, we shouldn't focus on what's taken out of a package. We should focus on the fact that this is great society territory, but not with the margins that they had in the great society. Be an immense accomplishment or set of accomplishments. Absolutely right. And absolutely the right point on which to end this conversation. Five trillion dollars, five million jobs, I should add, which is more jobs than were created during the last three Republican administrations in 16 years, uh, substantial economic growth, uh, real change in our standing around the world, very remarkable accomplishments in 2021 if we can get this done by the end of the year. And that then leads us to 2022 and the discussions about how those congressional races will go. And Norm and Kavita, hopefully we will be back and we will continue the discussion. With you, for those of you who are listening, this is where we're going to take a brief break so that those of you who are are, are in the public um, will not be able to continue. Those of you who are members will be able to continue our discussion with Neil Katyal and with Ryan Goodman. It's a really good discussion. It's on really important stuff. It's the kind of thing that we will always have each week, twice a week on, on the flagship podcasts for members only. So become a member. Take this time you're not a member now, sign up, help support what we're doing here. I, I think it's making a difference. I think it can make a difference. 
because it matters to give people a chance to hear more from Norm and Kavita and from our other guests, including Neil Katyal and, and Ryan Goodman after the break. For now, thanks, Norm. Thanks, Kavita. And we'll be back in a moment, everybody. <laughs> 